Let's just read the first five verses of 2 Timothy 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. From such, turn away. Let us pray. Father, thank you for those you've brought out in a cold evening. We thank you, Father, that they have left their home to come and gather together as the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you've put it within them to be here this evening. We ask you, God, that you would bless each and every one, every head, every heart, every home, every household, every family represented. We ask you, God, for your blessing to be upon them. Tonight, Father, we turn our thoughts and our prayers towards Maureen's mom, Gwen, that you would, Lord, touch her at this time in the hospital. And, oh God, that you would meet her at the point of her need and strengthen her and bless her. And, Lord, we pray for Maureen, you'd strengthen her as she looks after her mom. So, Father, we pray the rest of this evening, Lord, that you, by your Spirit, would speak to hearts tonight. Lord, that you would open our understanding. Oh God, that you would speak deep within each and every one of us. Lord, that we would leave here saying it was good for us to be here. But it was here that we met with the Lord. Thank you for the songs of Zion we've been singing and the worship group that's led us. We thank you for their gifts and their talents put to use for your kingdom, for their singing. We thank you for Brother Raymond, Lord, playing those two lovely pieces. Now, Father, we ask you, to take this congregation and settle us in our hearts and in our minds and even in our seats, Lord, that your word would have no distractions among us. And Lord, ere this night be over, we pray that Christ would be glorified, that Christ alone would be seen and exalted. That Lord, if there's one that has come tonight away from you, may be cold and backslidden and indifferent in heart, Lord, that you would either save or, Lord, that you would speak to them and draw them back to the fold. And, oh God, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would have free course among us tonight to the glory of Christ and Christ alone we ask it. Amen. Amen. This evening, we want to speak on the state and the fate of mankind when Jesus returns the state and the fate of mankind when Jesus returns. The Apostle gives us in our reading, especially the first five verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3, and he gives us, if you want, an idea in the last days what it will be like 
when Christ returns? What sort of society will we live in? And I think when you read through this list, it is the society that we are living in even this very evening in 2023. Notice what he says. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now I looked at this word last days last week. And some people believe the last days ended in AD 70. They're known as full preterists. And they go with this theology that it all ended and there's nothing else to be fulfilled. In fact, some go as far to say, and I would say that it is blasphemous to say that Christ has already returned in AD 70, showed his face in Jerusalem, and we're just waiting to see what happens. And then there are those who are partial predators to say the last day is finished at the days of Nero. Well, what days are we in then if these are not the last days? Listen to the Reverend Harry Bessaker. Professor of Richmond College, he said concerning this verse, Paul is speaking of future error on present germs. In other words, the germs, as it were, in society in his day until a future error. He then goes on to say, Timothy must consider future as well as present dangers. The germs of evil indeed are already present. And so here he's saying that Paul is writing to Timothy to say the dangers in society are already with us. In fact, John, uh, he writes in, in different places about Antichrist. Already there are many Antichrists in his day. And in Revelation 2 and 9 and Revelation chapter 3 and 9, he says that there are those who say they are Jews but are not and are the synagogue of Satan. And so we have to take into a balanced account of what are these last days? Last days are those from the very first days of our Lord Jesus Christ in Calvary right up until his second coming when he appears again and we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So the sense given here by Paul referring to the last days is from the first coming of the Lord until the second coming of the Lord. The germs that the Reverend, the Reverend Harry Bessaker has said that were in Paul's day in this uh, reading that we have read this evening, the, the germs are spreading, they are infecting, and they are growing. For example, in Matthew 24, and a lot of people say, think all of Matthew 24 is about the second coming. But a lot of Matthew 24 actually is about A.D. 70 as well. But notice Matthew 24 and verse 12. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says. And because iniquity shall abound. I want you to take note, underline the word iniquity. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The love of many shall wax cold. Now the word iniquity here. Because iniquity shall abound. The word iniquity is a word anomie, anomia. And it means lawlessness. Lawlessness. In other words, it's God's law they're speaking about here. There will be lawlessness in the land. Lawlessness in the nation. Lawlessness from the government. 
lawlessness from those in power. That is, against God's law, without God's law. And so, the Lord Jesus says, because iniquity or lawlessness shall abound, or the transgressions shall get worse. Because they shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So we have to ask ourselves, what is our society like tonight? What is our nation like this evening? Is it like Second Timothy 3 on the list that Paul gives what society shall be like? I think we're there. Is it like what the Lord Jesus says, that iniquity, that is the lawlessness, away and apart from the law of God shall abound? And I believe we're there. We speak of democracy. Democracy is really just the best of, the, of two bad or a few bad things. For example, democracy is better than communism. And now communism is really being called a new democracy, the way things are going. Really, it's not about democracy or even monarchy. But what we look for is theocracy. That is, the rule and the reign of God in the land through his word and his law. And hence, it's everything in opposition to theocracy we have in our nation tonight. The nation that was blessed by God. The nation that was built up in God's word and on God's law has now thrown it out. Thrown God out of schoolrooms, colleges, universities, out of even churches. The Christ and his name is very seldom used in some places, even in church settings. And so we see that the iniquity, the lawlessness, it means we're transgressing all the time as a nation, as a society before God. What, what we need is a theocracy where the rule and reign of God is again in our nation. Here's the thing. One man or one political party makes the law, the rules. Say in Westminster, for example. And another one in opposition maybe fight against it until they come along and they move in. Possibly the next year we'll find that Labour are in uh, and the Conservatives are out. The two years of the same donkey, if you ask me sometimes. But nevertheless, here we find that one will move in and one will move out. And one will make laws and one will change laws. But none of them, none of them have a regard to the law of God. But the law of man and woman who sit on the benches and the law of man and woman whose hearts are away from God, dead toward God, sinful before God. And these are the hearts that are making the laws and taking them away from the people. The law of God away from society. So society lives without a moral standard. Society lives and so the moral standard, who's right and who's wrong? Who's morally correct and who's morally wrong? Your morals could be different than mine and mine than yours. So where is the plumb line? The plumb line has to be to get back to a theocracy of the word of God in our land again and again to the law of God. And that's the only truth for the Lord Jesus said in John 17, 17. And he's praying, he says, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So brothers and sisters, tonight our nation is in a state because the law of God has been removed from government. The law of God has been removed from society. 
And the law of God has been removed even from church. It's a bad word now. It's a bad word. Hyper-grace teaching throws out the law of God. But Paul said he would not know sin if it was not for the law of God. He wouldn't know what sin is but for the law of God. And he says the law is our schoolmaster, which brings us on to Christ. Tells us that we're in need of a Savior. But now it's, let's all come and gather around every week. You know, let's all gather around the front. Look at the man who want to get saved today. And they go back and they get lost as soon as they're out in the car park. And then they have a bad week and they come back next Sunday and get saved all over again, according to some of them. That's because, you see, they don't realize the law of God and what they have been saved from. The law pointing to their sin. The law showing the way they should be. The law written upon the heart according to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to guide us. And hence we see here, brothers and sisters, that the Lord Jesus says, and iniquity, lawlessness, even in the church in this generation, He says that lawlessness shall abound. And what does it do? It is because the love of many is waxed cold. You see, brothers and sisters, there are many people throughout the COVID sort of time, if you want to call it that, their love for the Lord waxed cold. Their love for the Lord was tested and many failed, but their love for the Lord waxed cold. Waxed cold. Am I speaking to someone tonight and your love for him is waxed cold? Gone cold. You can hardly get yourself stirred. Excited about the things of God. Excited about the things of Christ. Speaking to someone, to someone tonight and your heart is went so cold. You're backslidden in heart. And it's hard for you to get excited again about the things of God. The Lord Jesus says, well, he says, because iniquity shall abound. Lawlessness is abounding in the land, in the nation. People say well, it's hard to be a Christian today. It's hard to be in the youth today. Listen, it's hard to be a pastor today too. It's hard to be a preacher today. If in all days bar the Reformation and the early church, it's hard to be a, a preacher today. And it's going to get harder, preacher. But if you love the Lord, if you love His Word, if you love Him, then you will continue on to be faithful to His Word. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my that was pitiful, church. That was terrible. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. If you love me, keep my commandments. commandments. If you love me, he says, then keep my commandments. Let's do it one more time when he shut it out, will we? If you love me, keep my commandments. Amen. CT, let's always remember, he's the word of God, but he's also the God of the word. Notice here, if you will, brothers and sisters, this uh, anomia, lawlessness, transgression, it speaks of, he was speaking of the Jews and they came. In AD 70, there was the crash, as it were, with Titus the Roman prince coming, sacking the city, pulling down the temple, and everything was done. And Jesus had said unto them that not a stone would be left upon each other. And it happened. Jesus said unto them, the kingdom of God is taken from you. And given to a nation, an ethnos.
the fruits thereof. Where did they come from, the fruit? Where did the, where, who produced the kingdom fruit? We produced the kingdom fruit. It was in Europe and right across in the United Kingdom, then in the United States and Canada. It was the printing that came out from Germany. It was the printing from Gutenberg. And right out across the whole of Europe, printing the Bible, the Word of God, sending forth the missionaries. It was this nation and the European early nations and then the United States who brought forth kingdom fruit. And now those who brought forth the kingdom fruit are now withering on the vine. No more wanting the Word of God. Their their society is like 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 5. Perilous times we're living in. And here Paul is saying to us, he's saying, listen, this is what society will be like. And the germs are in your day, Timothy, but in the future, and even Timothy, a young man, as you're growing up, keep an eye out. Keep a watch. By the way, the term, uh, know this also, it means know this and be knowing this. Keep knowing this. That's where it reads in the original text. Timothy Know this also, be knowing this also, keep knowing this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Keep it in your mind, Timothy. There's always going to be perilous in last days. Brother, sister, I would say and repeat, keep it in your mind. These are perilous days, dangerous times that we are living in. My mighty pastor, Pastor James McConnell, used to say to us on a regular basis from the pulpit, he used to say, young man, young woman, how's your love life? How's your love life? And then he used to clarify, he says, I'm not talking about you with your boyfriend or your girlfriend here. He says, how's your love life with the Lord? How's your love life with the Lord? For if we love him, we will serve him. If we love him, we will be faithful to him. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. Walk before him in righteousness. If we love him, we will trust him. If we love him, we will come to know him in a closer fashion. How's your love life tonight, church? How's your love life tonight? So there is an iniquity abounding, lawlessness is right across the Western Anglicized covenant nations of God. Lawlessness abounds in the United Kingdom. Lawlessness abounds across these British Isles. Lawlessness abounds across Europe, across the United States and Canada. Lawlessness is abounding all over the world. In 2 Timothy 3, we have a snapshot of those people whose love has waxed cold. And listen, because because the love has waxed cold, this is why we have a society like this. This is why this, this catalog is given to us, because society has become lawless, and you're ready, because the church has waxed cold before God. Because the very church has waxed cold. Before God. A legal system built on the law of God has been eroded by ungodly men. Yet in the British courts, the defendant or the witness who takes 
the stand will be asked to put their hand, his or her hand, a right hand upon the Bible, the Word of God, and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in front of a godless judge. And probably a courtroom full of godless peers. In Proverbs 14 and 34, it says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You know, sometimes I think of United States in particular with their MAGA hats on, M-A-G-A, the MAGA hat, make America great again. How do we make Britain great again? By moving in another political party? We make America, we make Britain great again by introducing this into every classroom, into every school, every assembly, and every town and village and city across the land. And listen, when the ungodly don't like it, then tell them to go and get another school. Notice here, if you will, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, John says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. That's the New Testament. And John says that when we are transgressing God's law, that is our sin. Listen to Romans 7 and verse 7. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, he said In fact, the words God forbid, it means never, ever let it be so said, one translator says. It's a strong, strong language. Never let it be said that God's law is sinful. Then he says, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust. Notice, I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Paul's saying, I wouldn't even have known what Lust was in the sin of it. I felt it because I'm a man, I'm a human, and we can lust. But I wouldn't have known the sin of it if it wasn't for the law. And he's speaking of the ten moral commandments here. And by the way, that's the tenth commandment. So he's looking down the whole list of them, and he gets to the last one, and he says, this one, including them all, if I break this one, even as James says, if any man... Uh, uh, keeps the whole law and offends in one, he's guilty of them all. In other words, he's missed the mark for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God or missed the mark. And Paul is saying, when I look at this, the very last of the tenth commandments, I shall not covet, it means I shall not lust. Go after your neighbor's house and as, uh, your neighbor's wife and so on. Paul said, I wouldn't have known even this, but the law showed me it. And what does it do? It points us to Christ, our sin bearer, our redeemer, our savior. Thomas Manton, the old Puritan, wrote this. First we practice sin, then defend it, then boast of it. First we practice sin, then defend it, then we boast of it. 
Now you think of our nation tonight and you think of our streets and our towns and our cities tonight. You think of our news and social media, your television, whatever way it may be. You know, first of all, they practiced the sin. Then they started to defend the sin. And now they boast in their sin. Now they boast in their sin. John Owen once wrote, Custom of sinning takes away the sense of it. The course of the world takes away the shame of it. I'm going to say it again. He wrote, Custom of sinning takes away the sense of it. The course of the world takes away the shame of it. That's why, because of the course of our land and society and our nation, that's why uh, there's no shame with them anymore. It's their custom. The, the, the whole course of society and their moral attributes and all the things that they stand for, which are against the divine inspired and ultimate word of God and all of its sovereignty. They rebel against it. They're, they're forced against it. They do everything they can to remove it. And hence the course of this society. Uh, what do they do? They take it away. The very shame of it. You know where the shame is lying now according to society? The shame is lying in you standing for truth. The shame lies with you and I standing for righteousness. Standing for the word of God. Believing that there's a God in heaven. And the sun will one day come back again. And the shame, they say, lies with you and I for standing up, say, for the unborn, the preborn, standing in the gap to be their voice, standing against sin, standing against the things that are happening in our land, standing against all manner of things. And you and I are the ones who have the shame now according to society. So briefly, we want to look at it. The state of mankind. The state, S-T-A-T-E. The state of mankind. And I've just picked one out just for time's sake. If you look at Second Timothy 3, please. And let your eye just run down to verse 4. There will be those who are traitors, heady, high-minded. Notice, this is the one I'm picking. Because I believe this is the, it in a nutshell. They are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's everything in a nutshell. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now I see this term, lovers of pleasures. There's, there's a word here that I want to break down into two words for you, just to try and give you a deeper sense of what the apostle is saying here. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So, the word is philedonos. Philedonos. And it's break, broke up into two words. The first one is philos. And philos is, if you ask, if you go through some of the, the scriptures, for example, um, we have agape, as in agape love, or agape, whatever way you want to pronounce it. And it's a love which is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. A Calvary. 
You were the object that was loved. You're the object that Christ died for because he loved you. And you call the love out of the Father's heart before you were even born, before you were a twinkle in your mommy and daddy's eye, before there was a sinner in Adam and earth, there was a Savior in heaven, and the Father had gave you to his Son. Agave love, he came to die for you. And the other word is phileos or phileos. And it means to be friendly with, to be associated with someone or something. And this word here is the word phylos as in phileidonos, or phylos is the first one, to be friendly, to be associated. The second part of the word is the word hedone. Hedone. And listen to what it means. Gives the idea of sensual desires, a lust for pleasure. Sensual desires and a lust for pleasure. So phylos means friendly and associated. Hedone means sensual desires and, and a real lust for pleasure. That's what men are. Women are. Humankind are. And it's where that hedonos is where you and I get our English word hedonism from. To be hedonistic. And hedonism simply means always lusting and needing more. You're always chasing and needing more. In fact, who's ever heard of the old saying, chasing the dragon? Do you see when people first take their first hit in drugs and the high they get? They always want to reach that high. And they take more, and they take more. That's called chasing the dragon. Strange it's the dragon, isn't it? Look up Revelation chapter 12, the old serpent called Satan and the dragon. Chasing the dragon. And the idea of hedonism is you chase it after more, more lustfulness, more sexual pleasure, all different manners of pleasure. And we're chasing it and chasing it. So when Paul is writing lovers of pleasure here, he's saying and given the idea, to to put it in, in modern terms, There are people and humanity in the last days will be so hedonistic. It's all about them. It's all about their wills, their wants, their loves, their lusts, their pleasures. Me, myself, and I. If you look at verse 2, the sandwiches, if you want, between these. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. We're in the selfie generation, aren't we? All the lusts and pleasures. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They love themselves. All of this in between. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And this is the state, the state of mankind when Jesus returns. For example... In Luke chapter 8 and verse 14, don't need to turn to it, but he's talking about the, the sower sowing the seed, and it falls in four parcels of ground. So there's the wayside, there's the stony ground, there's the seed among thorns, and then there's the seed in good ground. So the third one that I mentioned, the seed among thorns, would be in Luke 8 and 14. And Jesus says that that seed, it's choked with the curse, the riches, and the pleasures of life. See the word pleasures? 
It's the same word Paul uses. Men are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. In other words, the seed is sown of the gospel, of the word of God. And there's a little sprout coming. But the things of this world, the cares of it and cares for it, the lusts, the loves and the pleasures of it, it's like thorns around the throat. They choke the life out of you. Choke the Christ out of you. Choke the love of the Lord out of you. That's why there are so many have backslidden because they now love their pleasures more than they love God. They love their pleasures more than they love God. Here's something just as I close this little point. Notice, men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. See the term lovers of God? It's a word, philotheos. Philo, associated with, the same. Associated with, to be friendly with. Theos is God. For example, theology, learning about God. Theos is the Greek word for God. And so there are those who are lovers of their pleasure more than lovers of God. There are those who are driven by the pleasures of this world and the love that they should have for Christ as God rather than having an association with Christ and loving him. Brothers and sisters, friends, Christ Encounters Tabernacle tonight, those listening, watching, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube, live or later, Whatever you do, whatever you do, love the Lord more than this world. Love him more than the pleasures of life. Love him more than your comforts. Love him more than your family. What? Yes, Jesus says, if any man loves son and daughter more than me, he's not worthy of me. But when you love him, he'll give you even more love for them. Put Christ first. And let not this year, this society, this godless environment that we are living in, strangle the word of God out of your heart that you would love God less than you love the lusts and the things of this world. The state of mankind when Jesus returns Secondly, in Luke 17 and in verse 26, I've touched on this a while, so I'm just going to fly over this, really. I've touched and spoke on this in depth before a couple of times. The Lord Jesus says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Verse 27 of Luke 17. They did eat, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. We all know the story, I think, of the ark and Noah and being saved from the flood, the deluge. What is it like that Jesus said it would be like in the days of his coming? What will it be like? He says it'll be like the days of Noah. What were the days of Noah like? Well, without reading it all, but you can read it, Later in Genesis 6, in verse 5 of the chapter, 
it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Notice the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, here's the thing. This verse shows the playing out of the heart and mind of man. God sees it. But it also shows us that God knows the mind, the very heart, the imagination. Would you say imagination? Imagination. The word imagination here, it's a word, yet sir. And it means to purpose. Listen to this. It gives the idea of an intellectual framework for what you're about to do. An intellectual framework for what they, you, this society are about to do. God saw this intellectual framework in the very thoughts of the heart and mind. That it was only evil continually. When I think of some of the things that are happening in our world, in our nation, in our land, and in society. When I think of some of the things that are happening, the, the, the thought that must be put behind it. Look, I took down a book yesterday, started to flick through it again, because I'd read it a while back. Klaus Schwab's Fourth Industrial Revolution. Interesting read, and yet frightening if you read it with the right eyes. The Fourth Industrial Revolution by him speaks of globalism and AI. Shows the positives and he does show some of the negatives. But he's the one who says that he has set young men in every cabinet, especially in the Western world. And these young men are doing his bidding in Canada, the United Kingdom, in Ireland, in Australia. New Zealand. Klaus Schwab has his tentacles in all of this. He speaks of globalism and global government. And he speaks of an intelligent, intellectual framework from the thoughts to the outplay. Has anyone ever heard of Yuval Noah Harari? You look up some of his interviews on video. He's behind Klaus Schwab's. And Klaus Schwab is dangerous enough. I think this man could be even worse. Talks about openly about AI. He talks about the takeover. He talks about how we don't need as many humans on the planet now and how we must depopulate the earth by the slaying of the millions. He's a Jewish-Israeli man and he's wicked to the core.
You go look him up. He talks about depopulation of the masses. Openly. His latest video, in fact, I think it was Maureen sent me it this afternoon. His latest video was on CNN, speaking about what's happening in and around uh, Jerusalem and Gaza, or sorry, Israeli state and Gaza and around there. And he seemed pretty basic there. And if you've seen him, you'd say he seems not a bad fella until he starts getting into it. You see, the, the very framework of their mind. How many times have I said every time there's a war like Ukraine or every time there's something big in the earth, now it is down in, uh, in Gaza, always look behind the scenes. Always look behind it and search and see what else is going on that they don't want you to see until it's in place. Notice this. This word, imagination or yetzer, means to purpose or to have an intellectual framework. But notice in Isaiah 26 and 3, God's word says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. See the word mind. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind. It's the exact same word, yetzer. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose intellectual framework is according to your word. Whose thinking is according to your word. Whose mindset, whose artworking will be according to your word and your law. You want to have a peace of mind with all that's going on and maybe you're a bit concerned. Open this book. Make it your daily bread. Seek out the word of the Lord and trust it with all your heart. Get your intellectual framework going, not in our own mindset and our own thinking, but in this, and trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding and in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So the state of mankind, thirdly, In Luke 21, verses 25 to 28, I'm just going to skip across this again for time's sake. The Lord Jesus says at his return, there will be distress of nations with perplexity. See the word distress here? It's the word sunake. Sunake, and it means anxiety or anguish. It's going to be an anxiety. There's going to be an anguish because of what's going on. And it means also gives the idea from a root word. To compress your ears. Oh, no. Do you ever get you just can't take it anymore? Your mind could be racing. Your heart could be thumping. Your spirit's in anxiety and worry. There'll be men and women like this. No. It's the idea of this. Jesus said, the master said, this is the way things would be. And perplexity, perplexity is the word aporia. And it means in a state of quandary, there'd be no way out to be at a loss mentally, not knowing how to fix the problem. How do you fix the problem that's happening tonight in the Middle East? The Israelis have a right to retaliate. 
to go to war against Hamas and wipe them out? Absolutely. And to protect their people? Yep. But what about the innocents in Gaza whose electric is off, there's no water, there's no food, babies in incubators are dying in hospitals, uh, and people are dying with, with all that's going on who are innocent? How do we work out this quandary? How, how, do they, how are they meant to work this out? Because one side is fighting hard against the other. Brothers and sisters, when we say, see people put things up, I stand with Israel. And that's okay. But do you stand with Israel on this as well? What about the Christians that are there? I know it's a quandary. They don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with it. It's a quandary. Innocent little babies. And yet on the Israeli side, there's like 1,500 dead last week. I think I was, at uh, that count, about 300. But where do we stand? There has to be a moral standing. Do you see what I mean about the law and the word of God? There has to be a morality in it where we say, no, we can't cross this line. And we can't support it if it goes over either way. The Lord Jesus said, there'd be men's hearts failing them for fear, for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then he says, then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He goes on to say, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption is drawing nigh. When men don't know what to do, only God does. That's why we need the Word of God as the plumb line. For our lives, for our national life. Fourthly, lastly, on the state of mankind. Mark 13 and 28, the Lord Jesus says, Now learn the parable of a fig tree when their branches yet tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. And the fig tree became the emblem of Jewry, J-E-W-R-Y, the Jewish nation. Remember Mark 11, for example, the Lord Jesus curses the fig tree because it had leaves but it was bearing no fruit. Remember that? And they come the next day and Peter says, Behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. That was symbolic of the Jews there. In AD 70, they, they had crucified the Lord. And in AD 70, the nation was decimated. But the fig tree came back again in 1948. And yet it still has leaves but bears no fruit. Nationally speaking. Listen. The Israeli state occupies a secret, pardon me, a strategic location on a land bridge that links Europe, Africa, and Asia. I don't know if you can get the geography of it in your head. And the week before the terrorist attack, and it was a terrorist attack, it was a horrific attack, attack on, on the people, and the week before it, when Benjamin Netanyahu had decided that he 
they were going to uh, have a, a real link the whole way. They said up through Saudi Arabia, they said there'd be a real link. So in other words, there'd be an economic, an economic link. There could also be a military link, a highway for all to come up and down. But it would be for economy, a one-world global economy it would be. Now, when he announces this with Saudi Arabia the week before the attack, within that week, probably Iran backed Hamas, and they had this attack, this horrific, horrific nature of an attack. This landmass where the Israelis are today, this geography of a tiny piece of land, makes it being the focus of the three great monotheistic religions in the world, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. But also the superpowers surrounding it of the Arab, pardon me, the superpowers and the surrounding Arab nations are there. All eyes watch it. All eyes want it. And the nation that wins, you ready, the military power controlling it between three continents, Europe, Africa, and Asia. It's the very center of it all. It's in a position, whoever, whatever military power dominates it, it's at the very center for world domination. Now you think about this. That little bit of land is right at the center of world domination between three continents. So whoever runs it. Now here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Do you know who bought that land up at the end of the 1800s, coming into the early 1900s? The Rothschilds. Bought loads of swathes of parcels of land up. And we know all of their background, don't we? The banking fraternity. Listen to what Zechariah 12 and verse 2 says. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all people round about. Verse 3. He says, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. And right at this moment, the Gerald R. Ford, the biggest aircraft carrier in the world, from the United States of America, along with some other warships, are now in the Mediterranean, sitting outside the ports. And Great Britain have now decided to send naval warships too. In Ezekiel 38, it speaks of the merchants of Tarshish, a great naval fleet. The merchants of Tarshish will head on the direction and say unto those who come against that, little piece of land, art thou come to take a spoil? The merchants of Tarshish are Israel, Israel, Britain. The merchants of Tarshish are America and Canada. United Kingdom, it says, the merchants of Tarshish and all the young lions thereof. Britain is the motherland. Very symbolic. Even their football team has three lions on the shirt. It's always very symbolic of it. 
And now they're sending over their military might. They're saying that it is for humanitarian aid. I don't know what sort of gun you send for humanitarian aid. Now this may fade away, and this may get worse. Time is flowing, but bear with me just till I show you the the fate, F-A-T-E. Just in a verse or two, I'll cut a whole lot of this out. The fate of it. In 2 Timothy 3 and 1, this know also, the term here that in the last days is the word eschatos. Eschatos. And it means the farthest or the final or the uttermost. It's where we get the big word for end time things called eschatology. Eschatos is where we get eschatology, end times things. Notice this. It says that in away in the farthest, from where Paul was till whether it's today, the week's coming ahead, or whether it'll die down again. I don't know. I don't know the day and hour of the coming of the Lord. But these are the same peoples who are gathering together even way from then and still doing it tonight. For example, in John 6 and 4, the Lord Jesus says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. The word eschatos again, I will raise him up. The farthest day, speaking of the resurrection, of the dead in Christ when he comes. And hence here the word perilous, kalifos. It means dangerous, savage, fierce, troublesome, hard to bear and to deal with. When Jesus comes again, we have seen the state of man, but the fate of man. That is the fate of the Christ rejecter, the fate of every man and woman who knows not the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Psalm 9 and 8 says, He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Revelation 19 and 15 says, Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of his wrath. He's coming not to take sides, I said it last week. He's coming to take over. Jesus is coming as the King of kings. And the Lord of Lords. He's coming again. But are you saved and are you ready? Are you right with him? Second Thessalonians 1 from verse 7, Paul writes, The Lord Jesus shall be revealed. The word revealed is the word apocalypsis means manifest, to make bare. To, it's like something being covered. You know, when we come in and this, this is covered with plastic for dampness and whatever, we take it off and you, you, you can see that, uh, that piano there. It's the idea, this, the skies will roll back like a scroll and Christ will appear in his glory. Christ will come with all the armies of heaven. And it says, the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, who's he taking vengeance on? The fate of them? On those who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. So 
What is the fate? They'll be punished. What will they be punished with? Everlasting destruction. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So someone here and you still haven't believed the testimony of the word of God tonight? Are we living in the very last days? I don't know. I believe we're close. Is this the run into Armageddon? I don't know, but it could well be. All the players are on the stage at the minute. You hear the latest from Russia and China. The latest says that they're saying that if Britain or America do anything toward Hamas, they're going to attack Britain and America. That's how close it is. People say a simple thing like that could start all this war. Listen, do you know what started World War I or what the straw was that broke the camel's back, as we would say? Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophia. One bullet each in Sarajevo. A man came out and shot each of them. Started World War I. Nations started taking sides and falling into place. One bullet in each of them. They died. He came the first time as a child. He'll come again as the commander-in-chief. He first appeared in the stable. Next time he'll appear in the clouds. First time he came as a lamb. The next time he's coming as a lion. First time he came to die and to save. Next time he will come to conquer and to judge. The first time he came in humility, putting on a human frame. And next time he will come again in glory to be admired and adored among those that believe. First time he came to hang on a cross and the next time he will come to sit on a throne. He entered the first time into Jerusalem on a little donkey to be praised and then hated by the end of the week. And the next time he will return on a white horse, as it says. We know it's figurative, but on a white horse, as a ruler, commander, as a king of kings, and as the Lord of lords. Listen, there's so much. So much. You know what's happening at the minute in the last recent weeks? Pope Francis has said, Klaus Schwab is more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, for Jesus came, he said, to save souls, But Klaus Schwab says we need less souls. That's his words. Secondly, he says, listen, this is what he said. He says a personal relationship with Jesus is dangerous. That's what he said. A personal relationship with Jesus is dangerous. Then he goes on to say, you who say you're believers, that's me tonight. Stop trying to convert the Catholic to the faith. You know why? Because he's Antichrist. He's bringing them to hell. They need saved. He met with... Oh, I should close this here. Give me two minutes. 
the WEF recently. He met with the WEF and with uh, what do you call the president his wife's a witch? Literally Hillary Clinton. Bill Clinton. And I mean that. She is. She's wicked. And the Pope met with them. And the outcome was the Pope says we need depopulation in the earth for the people to decrease. How do we do it? Now that's the wickedness we're dealing with in the earth today. That's the wickedness we're dealing with. It's on every side. It's in every corner. Brothers and sisters, he's coming soon and we're going to watch. We're going to wait. We're going to pray. And we're going to be glad when Christ comes again. Amen. Amen. We shout praise the Lord. CT, you've been informed. You've been informed. May God bless his word to us.